0: Mark chapter eleven verses twenty through twenty-five, and your pew Bibles eight, forty-seven. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, and Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you've cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. your trespasses. Shall we pray? Almighty, sovereign God, you are creator, sustainer, and taker of life. All things are in your hand. From the stars in distant galaxies to the smallest. Molecules in creation, every aspect of creation, every facet, every nook and every cranny is in the palm of your hand, and you move and you guide them according to the purposes of of your will, and we stand in awe of you. Recognizing our how small we are not only on our planet but in the vast emptiness of the universe, we are but a speck of dust here today and gone tomorrow. But, Father, can we confess that rather than Falling into uh, hopelessness and despair, we are overwhelmed that you who holds all things in your hands knows our name. You know our thoughts and our words and the days of our lives as they are written in your book. And you love us. Though your knowledge is complete and thorough, there is nothing that is hidden from you you know us better than ourselves and you love us just the same and we rest in that that your love is unconditional and father we thank you that though as we sang today our sins they are many we thank you and we praise you that your mercy is more you do not give us what our sins deserve what our Rebellion deserves what living for our own glory and our own uh, pleasure and according to our own way. But you give us Christ. And you give us love. And you redeem us from the bondage of uh, hopelessness, of sin, of a broken world that is not the way it's supposed to be. And you have reserved a place in your house, a place where we belong, a place that has been etched into eternity by the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. And we are sons and daughters. We have a place at the table with brothers and sisters from every tribe and tongue and nation, every time, every generation, And we will feast on the delicacies and the infiniteness of your grace. And we will always sing of your grace. Your grace that saved us is saving us and will save us. And Father, may our identity and our place of belonging in you give us confidence in this life as you are leading us out of the shadows and the brokenness of this world into the marvelous light of eternity where you will dwell father son and holy spirit with your with your your faithful chosen people as you lead us towards that life light may we trust in you though fears are great and comforts few we trust in you and we pray Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We continue in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 25, really just still within the vein of the fig tree and the temple, the Markin sandwich that we looked upon last week. Uh, But now really Jesus is moving away from the brokenness and the empty fruitlessness of the temple, not just the temple itself, but um, vain Uh, Empty religion that people use for their own uh, to cover themselves externally, but internally they're rotten and uh, their hearts are cold. I have found uh, in just as I've gotten older and following the news, there's often the news is filled with Christian pastors and uh, leaders and celebrities who have their moral failures have been brought to light. And when this happens, the uh, reception of the public, many will react with vindication. Aha, I told you so. They are, were no good. Others um, feel uh, they revel in it. Oh, they're all those people are like that. There are many people that say, "I told you so," and there are far too many when Christian pastors and leaders and celebrities fail, and that they, when they fall, that people's faith is broken and devastated because. Uh, fallen leaders who have been the rocks which the, the ship of their faith, though um, tenuous at best, has finally crashed against those rocks. And why do these revelations cause such devastation to people's faith? I think the answer is far too much that we put our faith in people uh, that we trust that we admire, that are role models in our lives, and those, those there should be people that we trust and admire and role models of our life, but they are not the object of our faith, but they encourage us to um, deepen our faith in God. But they become the object of our faith, not in Almighty God Himself. Far too often it's the authorities in our lives, pastors and professors and politicians, Uh, institutions, universities, and societies, and networks that we trust in, Uh, systems, religious or political or sociological. And I have found time and time again, even of the best of of humans, the boldest, most faithful of Christians, when you put your trust in someone or something other than God alone who is worthy and who's strong, or shoulders are strong enough to bear the significance of your life, it will leave you disappointed and disillusioned. <clears throat> it could be not only Christian people, not only Christian institutions, Christian ministries, but it can be just regular things, sports and work, and money, and uh, your 401k, your ability, your education, your, your family, your lineage, your ability, your reason, your intellect, when we put our place and trust in someone or something other than the Lord himself, it will fail us, it will disappoint us, because it is not able to bear the significance and the burdens of our lives. And so as the disciples are starting, they're shocked because Jesus has said this temple that you've trusted in that since you were little boys and little girls have gone to the temple and this is where you have made sacrifices, where you have received forgiveness, where have you have uh, gone to find intimacy with God, that is actually a withered fig tree that is dead and dying in disease, And it rather than being cleansed, because we often hear the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. He didn't cleanse the temple. He d- dissolved the temple. He is taking an axe to the root of a fallen fig tree. Of a, a, a withered fig tree that has no point because it does not bear the fruit of the Lord. And so Jesus is now turning our attention away from what once was the means of grace to God's people to a greater, more perfect, eternal means of grace that we have. The person and the work of Jesus Christ who is complete, who is, is whole, who is not uh, limited by a geographic location or a certain ethnicity of people, but now, as the temple was intended to be, but was not, is now a place for all nations. And Jesus is, this, is building this new temple through the body um, used by bricks, Um, of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation who will offer a sacrifice of praise and bring the aroma of the knowledge of God to all nations. And now the call is to follow Christ. And here's my big idea this morning. It says that is this. The call to follow Christ is the call to trust the God of the impossible. The call to follow Christ is the call to trust the God of the impossible. And I've been told I don't leave it up enough, so I'm going to try to fill this time as you're writing. All right, that's enough. Uh, But, good news, my points are very short. Pray big and forgive much. How do we follow the God of the impossible? How do we trust the God of the impossible? We We pray big and we forgive much because the call to follow Christ is the call to trust the God of the impossible by praying big and forgiving much. As a way of setting the context, in Jesus, uh, in verse 22, says to them, And Jesus answered the disciples, or Peter, Have faith in God. I want to paint the picture for you now. Jesus is standing on the road that leads away from Jerusalem. He's going back to Bethany, where he uh, is staying with uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He's going there. His disciples are accompanying him on that uh, that that dusty road that over has overlooks the city of Jerusalem on its way to the Mount of Olives. And you can see this beautiful picture of the panorama of the Jerusalem. And at the foremost center of this panoramic is the Temple Mount. And you probably can see the, the uh, smoke from the sacrifices rising. You may be able to smell the, the aroma if the wind shifts right and leads it over the, over the, the road. And Jesus stands at that road. And he pauses, and he draws the attention of his disciples with this great temple mount looming behind him, the center of religious life in Jerusalem, and he boldly declares that that temple, the center of their life and faith, is nothing more than a fruitless, rotten tree that um, serves as nothing more than a den of robbers, a hideout of scoundrels. And it is a den that does not need to be cleaned and refurbished. It needs to be dissolved and done away with. If you were listening as one of his disciples that day, such words would have been shocking. It would have been like Jesus just took a bulldozer to your faith. Without the temple, the the disciples are thinking, without the temple, how would we find peace with God? Without the temple, how would we receive forgiveness? How would we do this? And Jesus, knowing the uh, objections, the shock of his disciples, says to them, simply, four words, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Don't put your trust in fruitless religion uh, religious institutions or meaningless ritual ceremonies don't put your faith in politicians or celebrities or revolutionaries don't put your faith in people or movement hashtags or slogans instead put your trust in the one true God who is able to see past the lush religiosity the lush outside of superficiality and judge accurately and truly and finally the hypocrisy of those who appear on the outside who say moral things and say all the right buzzwords. And this was not just in the first century. This was not just in the prophets, but it is in modern day. Some of the most scoundrel, wicked people are the people who say the very things that we want to hear and we put our trust in them and they're using us and exploiting us for their own personal political gain. They are not friends of the kingdom of God. They are scoundrels and they are a den of robbers. And Jesus says, don't put your trust in those people. Put your trust in God and seek him, seek his amazing grace that he gives to those who seek him by faith. Follow Christ and trust the God of the impossible. But how do we do that? Trust God. Put your faith in God. That sounds great. That'd be on a bumper sticker. That might be in a meme that we put out on Facebook. Have faith in God. But what does that really mean? What, is that, what does that look like? What does that sound like? What is that, how do we tangibly do that? Well, Jesus gives us uh, two ways. Uh, one, pray big. Pray big. Often I, I'm afraid that our, our uh, prayers are just too small. We spend our prayers on trifles and little things because we think, surely I can take this little thing uh, because God would never give me this big thing, these things that I think are impossible. But I settle for crumbs at the table rather than the sumptuous entree of the good, faithful uh, mercy and grace of our God. We each in this life face obstacles. You could call them mountains, where we find ourselves standing at the base of this mountain. We look up at this daunting, intimidating obstacle that stands before us, and we believe that it is insurmountable, it is immovable, and it is impassable. That's impassable, not impossible. Uh, impassable means you can't get over it, and it may be impossible because it's impassable. Sorry. Oh, um, you grima- uh, grima- uh Never mind. Um, mountains that we look at that require such passage like climbing the Matterhorn uh, or the top of Everest that we know that we would never have the strength the wisdom, or the ability to go, uh, to be able to go through such treacherous, uh, um, tenuous times, we say, I can't possibly do that, so we don't. But let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, when you stand at the foot of impossible mountains, and you find it is the end of yourself, and there is no way that you can cross that mountain, at that point is where faith begins. The Lord drives us to the end of ourselves so we can find that we need Jesus and he's all that we have. And that's a good thing. And that's where we need to be. Let me define where faith, what faith is. Robert, uh, my pastoral mentor, defined it this way. He says, Biblical faith is not the power of belief in an abstract sense. As the great theologian's journey says, don't stop believing. And if you have you believe in yourself or you just keep going, don't give up. And this strength of will, this power of positive thinking, if you just don't believe, don't give up, this tenacity, that's what faith is. <clears throat> That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is this. is Biblical faith is trust that is rooted in the work and the person of God himself. I don't trust in my power of positive thinking or my power of belief, but biblical faith is trusting in who God is and what he has done. That's what biblical faith is. Genuine faith, genuine biblical faith, looks upon an impossible mountain and says, I am not strong enough, I am not wise enough, and I don't have the resources or abilities to traverse this mountain. But God does. I can't, but God can't. Rather than being paralyzed by doubt, faith lifts its eyes up to the hills from whence our help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He will not let my foot be moved. Behold, he who keeps Israel, or you, or me, neither slumbers nor sleeps. Rather than being paralyzed by doubt because we can't do it, the reality of it, we lift our eyes to God, who has the power to give us strength through his power, who has the wisdom to navigate us through the impossible waters and the uncharted resources and territories that, uh, that the Lord leads us through the deep valleys and the high lofty cliffs. And he gives us the ability that is not in ourselves to endure things that we could never on our own endure. And he is the one who leads us and guides us through daunting mountains. As Fanny Crosby so eloquently said, all the way my Savior leads me. To further communicate the power of faith in the uh, God of the impossible and over the doubt that leaves us paralyzed, Jesus points to the temple, which all throughout the Old Testament is called the mountain of the Lord. Because this text is a little little, um, squirrely because you have to define what these mountains are. You have the prosperity people that say mountains are any obstacle that we have in our life. Uh, but if you go in the context, this is most likely either the Mount of Olives that Jesus is standing at the base of, look at this mountain and throw it, or he's looking back over his shoulder at the temple mount that all throughout scripture that says this is the mountain of God that will be raised up. And, and, and so Jesus is, looks back, and I believe that he says he looks back at the temple and with hyperbolic flair says, you can look at this mountain, this daunting uh, um, religious uh, building that is the center of is, uh, Israelite life and worship. And he says, You can say, says to this mountain, who um, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass and it will be done. Faith trusts the all-powerful God to accomplish in us and through us what is impossible on our own. Faith, mirac- faith in the one true God miraculously delivers us from the mediocrity of fear and doubt to trust the goodness and the greatness of, and, and the miraculous power of the God of the impossible. But how does he do this? Faith trusts the good, uh, the goodness of God's character and has the courage to seek his power, his wisdom, and his will in the face of crippling fear and insurmountable odds. When we trust God to seek the right thing in the right way, um, uh, faith has confidence that God will provide with impossible answers and unfathomable pr- provision that we would never have been able to say. We... Uh, Denise and I in our life as we have faced challenges in life have looked back and said I would have never thought that God would have moved that way and it hasn't always gone the way we expected or the way we want it. It hasn't been always the answer to our immediate prayer. I want this but God gave us something greater something that we couldn't even imagined and looking back we have said I wouldn't have it any other way, because he taught me so much about the character of who God is. When we trust God to seek the right things in the right ways, we can have impossible answers and unfathomable provision. This is why, when you can't love your enemies, pray. Excuse me, pray for God's compassion. Because on your own, you cannot love your enemies. When you can't endure physical weakness and illness, pray for God's provision and strength in your body. When you can't think, or when you think you can't provide for your family or yourself without compromising the virtue and the glory and the nature of our God, pray for God's provision and that you don't compromise. When you don't know how you can live without that person, pray for the comfort that you find in God alone. When you don't think your loved one, when you think your loved one will never trust the Lord, and you have shared Jesus and you have tried whatever thing and you are convinced they will never trust the Lord, their hearts are too hard. Pray for the quickening touch of the Holy Spirit who can break down generations of hardness of heart in an instant. God has promised us and as we read to the children's story, God has promised he will provide us what we need, when we need it, in the amount that we need. And even if the mountain that you stand at the foot up and you look up is covered by clouds because it is so tall and so daunting, if you stand at the foot of Everest and your faith is minuscule, like the size of a mustard seed, and a heart that is empowered by the quiet confidence of faith in God's infinite power and pure goodness is able to accomplish anything, not because of us and not because of our faith, because of the object of our faith is powerful and infinite and able to do far more than we can ever imagine. Ocean Park, I want to tell you this morning, the only immovable mountain is the mountain of prayerless doubt. James uh, chapter 4, verse 2. I've come to learn this well. I remember a person told me, I'm going to ask you this in confidence from James chapter 4, verse 2. And she said this, because uh, Jesus tells us you have not because you ask not. And that taught me a great lesson. Brothers and sisters, do we ask the God of the impossible? or do we determine it's beyond his pay grade? Now, I want to tell you this as a, an aside to this, that this text has been uh, horrendously disfigured by prosperity preachers and peddlers of, the, of feel-good gospel. Let me tell you this. Jesus is not a blank check for every carnal desire that you have for every want and need to be able to fill it. Uh, If you just say the magical words in Jesus' name, you will get whatever you want. A bigger house, a faster car, a skinnier waistline, in Jesus' name, as if sort of a magic genie in a bottle. This This is not what Jesus is telling us. This is no different than the contemporary, the contemporary teaching is no different than the Jews in the first century, the rabbis that were teaching the people that if you pray your prayers in the temple, they will be effective. But the prayers outside the temple are not. And you can see after the destruction of the temple, the rabbis in great fear that they taught that the the heavens have been closed up by iron boards because the temple is no longer there. The mountains of faith, the mountains that faith can move are the mountains that God wants to be removed. Not those our carnal, worldly hearts want moved. And when we pray in faith and we seek what the heart of God desires, we can have confident assurance that God will grant us what what we desire because we are seeking the very will of God. Notice verse 24, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received this. This, this faith of in, in a God who is good, who is righteous, who is true, that we are trusting in his word, and it will be yours. And therefore, as we see this promise that God delights to give us his will, we need to seek God's will rather than being um, this hopelessly... Um, fatalistic Christians who say, God is sovereign, he'll figure it out without me. There's something about prayer that Jesus tells us, that even though a sovereign God who knows our days and they're written ahead, that prayer changes things. And therefore, we seek God's will we seek God's work of redemption, the gospel, to be accomplished in us and through us. Lord, I want to be gospel people. I want to share the gospel. I want to bring reconciliation through between God and man, but between brother and brother, sisters and sister, together. I want to seek God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and we can be assured of God's promises. As Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse 31, he has just finished the story of the the lilies and the ravens. He says, I clothe the lilies with fine arraignments, and I feed the ravens in their young. How much more? Instead, rather than simply saying, I need health, I need food, I need money, Jesus says seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you the lord knows what we need and like a a a, a good parent doesn't have to be reminded uh, to feed their children our heavenly father knows our needs and he'll provide those and there are big promises that god makes and he says fear not when you're standing at the foot of these mountains that are impossible and impassable, if you're not, little flock, it is your Father's not curmudgeonly pleasure. He's not an Ebenezer Scrooge that you have to get a two, pry a two-pence out of him for Christmas. It is your Father's good pleasure. To do what? To give you the kingdom. Our Heavenly Father, Who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who holds all things in his hand, who is sovereign over heaven and earth in the kingdom of God? It is his pleasure to give you the riches of not this worldly kingdom of brokenness and fleeting temporary pleasures, but the satisfaction of an infinite joy in an infinite God who reigns forever. Ocean Park, let me ask you this. Do you go to the Lord in faith with the confidence that uh, he uh, He has given you the promises? Do you bring to Him your doubts and your fears and your brokenness? Do you bring to the Lord your lost loved ones who you're convinced they'll never come to Jesus? Do you bring Him your unforgiveness of heart do you bring him your struggles with your sin? Do you bring him your loneliness, your pain, your disappointment? Do you seek more of his love and more of his, the hope in his gospel? The more faith, that more uh, fruit of the Spirit. Not just for your life and for your children and your loved ones, but do you bring to God uh, and, and cling to his promises not only for you but for our church, that we would be a church that shares the gospel with boldness. Do you pray that the Lord would send our church families who desire the sustaining word of God and the and the beauty of of, of com, um, community? Do you pray that the Lord would multiply baptisms in our church? That he would send our children Christian friends that will walk with them through these years? Do you pray that you and me and our church would be more Christ-like and more compassionate and more self-sacrificial? Do you pray that our world would be a, life, a lighthouse that, that warns a world that is drifting in the darkness of sin and death? When you seek the Lord, and when you seek his kingdom priorities and his promises, pray like Jesus uh, in, in the garden of the Gethsemane. Father, all things are possible with you. Jesus uttered with drips of blood and sweat because he prayed so intentionally, and he said, not my will, but yours Be done. Don't allow me to settle for the breadcrumbs that fall from the table when I can have the lasting, satisfying entree of God's joy. And when the Lord provides, and when He sends His will. And he accomplishes the answers to these prayers in ways that you never expected. I pray that you would be quick to be like the uh, Apostle Paul. I remember this verse was a verse that Denise clung to after um, Crosby was adopted. Now to him who is able to do what? Far more Abundantly then all we could ask or think according to the power that is working within us. Remember, the power does not come from us to go over the mountain. The power is from the Lord, working through his spirit. It's working through us to accomplish his will to him, not to us be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as we trust the God of the impossible, may we um, follow Jesus by praying big. I fear that we simply do not pray enough. We need to pray big. When we're standing in front of these mountains and we don't have a clue we said, Father, we trust you. Give me the power, give me the strength and the ability to make this mountain get out of Dodge and go take a jump in a lake. Not only do we uh, pray big, but there's fine print on this. And often the fine print is where people pull the ripcord. Forgive much. Forgive much. Notice verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you as well. There is one condition to effectual prayer that Jesus tells us. Forgive. We must forgive freely others as God has so lavishly forgiven us. Often when I have counseling sessions, maybe married people, maybe just people in general that are, are having conflict in their life and they are professing Christians, I ask the question, how does the gospel apply to this? And often it's, uh, I, it's usually his side, her side, and the truth. And what I find often is that um, we are really good at pointing out the flaws and the sins and the errors, what they have done, uh, like our political parties are doing right now. They can point out all the flaws, and I agree with most of them. But nobody comes up with a very good answer. Even in our, inner, in our lives, in our relationship, we do the same thing. The question is, it's not what they have done. It's what, what can I do? I tell my children, the only thing you can change is yourself. You can't worry about your sibling. You only can do it yourself. And what do you need to repent of? What, you, what do you need to change first? And that's what we have control over. And Jesus says... You need to forgive others of your small sins because God has forgiven you of infinitely more. This is the requirement that probably feels more impossible than the mountain that you pray about. Forgiving others feels impossible. But remember, We follow and our trust is in the God of the impossible. Because when we try to forgive others on our own power, we're right. It is impossible. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can change our hearts to love and forgive. Because forgiveness, genuine Christ-like forgiveness, is impossible for the natural heart. But... But the God of impossible can change our hearts because our hearts without the grace of God are a shallow well that bubbles with poisoned water. And we divvy that out and we pass that out. But the God of the impossible through the power of the Holy Spirit is to able to take those poisoned well and transform them to bubbling, cool, refreshing uh, streams of God's grace that overflow in grace and forgiveness. As Christ has forgiven us and pours forgiveness and grace into our lives, it overflows into cool, refreshing water. Think Tuckney Springs. That is always the cool and clear and refreshing rather than the poisoned, muddy, murky water that stinks and is festers with bugs. Ocean Park, we're not called to be a cul de sac where forgiveness stops, but we're called to be a roundabout where grace and mercy and forgiveness flows in and flows out. We're called to be disciples. Those of us who are you, disciples of Jesus, united to him by faith, are these building blocks of a new temple. The new temple where these building blocks are taken from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, from every time. And they're putting together as a house of worship that goes no longer with a a single ethnic people in a single geographic place, but they go throughout the world spreading the knowledge of the grace and the mercy of God that has come to us in Jesus Christ. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, wherever the Lord is leading us in triumphant procession, we are the aroma of the knowledge of God. This temple, this mobile temple, as uh, almost Allah Ezekiel, where it says the, the presence of the Lord God on these, this, these heavenly cherubim creatures with wheels within a wheel. Now this, this mobile temple that we have goes into all the world's to the farthest uh, reaches uh, of of this known world to bring the gospel and the forgiveness of the Lord. A temple where all nations will come to worship Christ and serve as the conduit by which grace and forgiveness flow to the nations. Ocean Park, we cannot have the peace of God if we harbor animosity for others. People often... I got off of Twitter this week, and I shut down most of my social media because I was so tired of the ugliness and the poison and the nastiness from professed Christians. And I've talked to other pastors, too, and my morale is low because I don't think we get it. Because we are not a people of forgiveness. We're not a people of compassion. We are, are like the uh, Pharisees who were cold and hardened and wanted to preserve their power. And there were fig trees that are withered and diseased. And Jesus came with a cross, took an axe to the root of the fig trees because it was withered and useless. And I'm afraid our professed morality and religion and moral high ground is really a ditch on the side of the road. And it stinks. Reality is we need to get out of that ditch. And we need to follow Jesus the God of the impossible, and be the uh, fragrance, the means by which the fragrance of the knowledge of God comes, and the world sees that these people forgive the unforgivable, and they give grace, and they have compassion for the weak and the poor, and they love their enemies. They fight differently because they fight with grace and humility. Danny Aiken in a sermon he preached, asked so many good questions, I wanted to quote him. He says this, Ocean Park, I say Ocean Park, but he says, are you a barren fig tree? Is your church, specifically, can you forgive those you once hated and have wronged you, and can you get the gospel to them? Can you? Can we as a church can you remove any and all barriers that would keep them from genuine face-to-face with the encounter with the Savior for all nations? Can you, will we, will we pay any price necessary that the nations may hear King Jesus? Ocean Park, do we have enough faith to trust the God who for, has forgiven us and forgives those who hurt you and exploit you and failed you? Now, there, there is wisdom here, and some of you are thinking, what about some of you have, have really genuine abuse, and there's wisdom, and we don't do this on our own. But I remember uh, just recently about the um, man, uh, African-American man that was in his home watching a TV show, and uh, a police officer came home, whether she was inebriated or whatever, went into the wrong apartment and shot him and killed him. And his brother, uh, in the sentencing phase, said this. uh, The best I remember is, I'm not probably not supposed to say this, but I forgive you. And with tears running down his face, and tears running down her face, the brokenness that they both felt in a world that is not the way it's supposed to be, the light of the gospel was magnified across the world social media, and on, uh, on television, the forgiveness of a man who followed Jesus to a woman who murdered his brother in his own house. He said, I forgive you, and you'll never find peace until you find Jesus. And the world said, we have never seen anything like this. And many people said, no, don't ever ever forgive like that because the world doesn't know the God of the impossible. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be the temple which brings the fragrant aroma of God's salvation of Christ to the nation whether it be your children in your home your children who have grown and left whether it be your spouse your co-workers, your difficult boss there will be times when you have to give, forgive your pastor because I will fail you. Our church, our brothers and sisters will not always do the right thing or say what is kind. May we, as our uh, covenant says, may be, we be quick to forgive and ready for reconciliation because we have received the mercy and grace of our God. Brothers and sisters, the call to follow Christ is the call to trust the God of the impossible. May we pray big and forgive much because of a God who is good. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are and what you have done. I, Father, I pray for our church, that we would be a people that would trust you, that would overflow with faith and trust in God. And that we would pray for your will and your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And that we would be ready to forgive. And in doing so, that we would make the fragrant aroma of the gospel known to the nations. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.